Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Guy Waters with a biblical and at times inspiring discussion of death and what comes after this life. When we think about death, we, we certainly want to be thinking about what we're leaving and how to prepare our, our friends and loved ones for that. But as Christians and in faith, we need to set our sights on what lies ahead of us and to know that what we're gaining is far greater than anything we're losing. Guy Waters, next. Dr. Guy Waters believes death, a topic often avoided, isn't something we can afford to ignore or trivialize. In his new book, Facing the Last Enemy, Death and the Christian, Dr. Waters sheds biblical light on common questions about death, the process of death, and what lies beyond the grave. For those who have faith in Christ, and for those who don't. He's a professor and academic dean at Reformed Theological Seminary. Dr. Waters, we don't often see a book-length treatment of this subject. What led you to write it? The book arose out of a very uh, specific and personal set of circumstances. Uh, One of the uh, things I have the privilege of doing in uh, ministry within the church is to fill the pulpit of a small and local congregation. Uh, One of the ruling elders, uh, who's a friend, uh, was in advanced stages of cancer and knew that he was approaching the end. He was a physician and so had a pretty clear understanding of what was happening to him. And so he invited me to help him prepare for uh, death. He was a strong, vibrant Christian, and so he wanted to be ready Uh, to enter into the presence of his Savior. And so in those conversations uh, came a Sunday school series for the whole congregation uh, on the subject of death and dying. Uh, Just what is death and how do we make sense of it? How do we prepare for it? How do we help others? What lies on the other side of death? And sadly, he did not survive to hear the whole series, but Uh, He did live long enough that I was able to tell him that I was dedicating this book to him and his now widow. And so he uh, strongly encouraged me to commit this series uh, to writing and to seek publication. Ligonier uh, graciously did. And so the book has been out for a couple of months now. Well, before I ask you some specific questions about death, uh, early on in your book, you say that our modern culture and even the church sometimes makes it hard to think about death. And first, uh, you, you call them cultural obstacles. There are a couple that you cite. Can you, can you talk about that and uh, what's behind those? I think to begin, we recognize that death is unpleasant, particularly to the unbeliever. And so there is no desire in the fallen heart really to reckon with death and what it portends. But our culture in particular has really mastered the art of not thinking about death and serious things. Um, I enjoy sports and entertainment and all the things that we have at our disposal, but we have invested so much in that that it has become, uh, in many ways, and for many people, a distraction for thinking about serious things and eternity. And that can spill into the church as well. Uh, The line, sadly, between church and culture sometimes is a porous one. And so 
the church can unwittingly absorb the mindset of the world around us, and we can lose sight of the seriousness that the scriptures call us to have when it comes to these matters of, of life and death, matters of utmost importance. So that is what you refer to as the culture of distraction, but you say there's also a culture of distancing and denial, which is uh, a little deeper. That's right. I'm very grateful for our hospital system, uh, nursing homes, all the medical care facilities, and the thousands of compassionate, qualified men and women who serve sacrificially to care for our friends and loved ones, particularly in their last moments. And we wouldn't be without them. But we live in a world very different from even a few generations ago, where we were much closer to the experience of death and dying in our friends and loved ones. They were in our homes. They spent our last days with us. And that's often not the case. We're distanced from it. And so particularly young people have not had the experience of being with someone who's dying, Have never has never been around someone who has died. Uh, increasingly, it's uh, uh, uncommon for people even to have been to a funeral. So these are ways that um, I'm not saying there's some conspiracy. I don't think there is, Mm -hmm. but our culture is distancing death from us. And of course, when you're at a distance from something, you can almost think as though this just isn't there and it's not going to affect you. But of course, it's just a matter of time before it does. And, And ironically, of course, we see death depicted in films all the time in all kinds of different ways. We may feel like we we're familiar with it, but as you said, many people uh, it, it perhaps hasn't really, especially younger ones, uh, the subject uh, has not become personal yet. That's right. I mean, our uh, media have, have really refined uh, very graphic and gruesome depictions of death, um, and that becomes the diet of entertainment for many. And at the same time, uh, we've lost sight of what real experience of death is, and that's a tragedy. And you say that, uh, as we just looked at the culture, you say that the, are you right, that the church often brings its own uh, obstacles to considering death. Um, Can you tell us what those are? You would think the church would be the one place where you would typically find a very straightforward biblical uh, approach. Yes, and again, I think these are unintentional, and in many cases, Mm well-intentioned. A couple of examples. Um, I think churches, uh, out of a desire to reach out to people, they want to bring people into the church. Uh, The the danger is that churches can and have uh, adopted a mindset of needing to, to do what it takes to attract and keep people. And there can be a subtle shift. Well, then we don't really want to get into such difficult subjects as death and dying and all that that means. And so it's not that those get denied, it's just they don't really get addressed. And the the teaching of, of the church ends up focused on other things. Or uh, particularly in larger churches, we want to minister to people and minister to people where they are. So very often there are Sunday schools and discipleship groups that bring people of of like age and background together in one place. And there's a lot that's good and positive about that. But what that means is that if you're a 
young married 20 something, you may not have regular interaction with someone in their 60s or 70s. And so you don't have the opportunity to, to witness and to walk alongside a brother or sister who's facing illness and death and learn what it looks like to walk in faith through those kinds of situations. So I think those are ways that even within the church, we can find ourselves distanced from these sorts of things. Well, my guest today on His People is Dr. Guy Prentice Waters, and we're talking to him about his new book, Facing the Last Enemy, Death and the Christian. He's a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Well, Dr. Waters, you divide your book into three main sections, and can you tell us what those are and why you divided the book in this way? Right, yes. So each chapter, and there are 12 chapters, is a question. And it's a question that we bring about death, and it's a question that Scripture raises and answers. And the first set of questions, part one, is uh, subtitled Defining Death. Just getting a handle on what is death. We shouldn't, shouldn't assume that we know what it is. We, we need to go to Scripture and think carefully about what death is. The second is subtitled Encountering Death. How do I face death? How do I help others face death? How do I get ready for death? Because I know that it's coming. And then the third section is subtitled Beyond Death. The good news of the gospel is that death is the last enemy defeated by Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. So while God's people are called to experience death, we will not experience death as a conquering enemy, but as a conquered enemy. And so we have a glorious future that lies beyond death. And the scripture goes to great lengths to help us understand what that is and to whet our appetites and to prepare us for it in the here and now. And that's how we end the book. Well, uh, definitionally, and, and, and I know it has, uh, from what you've written, several or at least a few different dimensions, but what is death? Well, death is not the end of my existence, according to the scripture. That's, that's how many people think about death. Well, I'm here, and, and then I'm not, and that's it. But the Bible teaches that we were created soul and body. You read that in the opening chapters of Genesis, and it's reinforced throughout. And because of sin, we will experience a temporary separation of soul and body, and that's that's what the Bible calls death. And the soul and body will be reunited at the last day. And if one is a believer, if one is an unbeliever, uh, that reunion will be experienced uh, in radically different ways. So what I've just spoken of is what we could call biological death when soul and body get separated. But the Bible speaks of death in other and bigger dimensions. So there's spiritual death. Because of sin, we have no life towards God spiritually. We have no love towards him, no desire to be with him. And the Bible speaks of that as death. And as we look into eternity, if God in his grace does not step in and make the dead sinner alive, then we're looking at death eternally, where a person, soul and body, spends eternity uh, apart from God, being justly judged 
for his for her sin, whereas um, when death is overcome, that begins in this life when God brings a person to salvation in Jesus Christ. They're brought from death to life, and the life that's given in Jesus is eternal life. And so we have the hope of fellowship with God, of the presence of God into eternity. So death is something that uh, carries with us through eternity, and death is something that sh uh, covers and shapes the whole message of the Scripture. And I know this one goes back to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, but can, can you, and I know this could, uh, the books are written on this, but, but why do we die? The Bible doesn't leave that to guesswork. Uh, death is not part of the natural order of things in the sense that that's just how God created us, period. But death is the penalty for sin. And God said to our first parents, to Adam, uh, if you disobey me, you will die. On the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, God is good on his word. Adam disobeyed, and death was the penalty. And we know that Adam stood as representative for uh, all normal human beings descending from him. And so we share in that penalty of death as well. So we want to be clear that death is not something that's accidental or just part of the way things are, but it is the penalty for sin. And interestingly enough, the uh, Scripture teaches that God has actually ordained the exact time of each person's death. In other words, it's not a random occurrence. That's correct. We're told that uh, death is going to happen for everyone. It is appointed unto all people once to die. And we're also told that the, the, our days are numbered, uh, that the days of our lives have been appointed by God's eternal decree. And so we will live as long and no longer than God has appointed us to live. Well, and, and we know that uh, most people do, even that have just sort of a brushing familiarity with the Christian faith, that on some level, for some reason, Jesus Christ died, died on a cross. I, I think most people are aware of that. Of course, Christians know that very well. Why did Jesus, why did Christ have to die? Yeah, and, and that's a great point, Bill, that the, the whole center of Christianity, of our faith, is the cross and with it the resurrection. And it shows you how serious God is about death and life. And the teaching of the Bible is that Jesus is a human being, but he's not an ordinary human being. He's God come in the flesh. And so he was not subject to the penalty of death as you and I and all your listeners are. And unlike us, he obeyed God perfectly. He didn't deserve to die, but he died an accursed death on the cross. And why is that? Well, not because he deserved it, but because he died in the place of sinners. And so every person who puts trust in Jesus Christ can know that death has been conquered for me 
and that I have been given entrance into eternal life because of what Jesus Christ did in his death and resurrection. When Jesus stepped out of the tomb, the sentence of death was lifted, uh, life was his in possession, and by the Holy Spirit, he shares that with all who trust in him. So that's the glorious message of the Christian gospel, that sin and death are conquered, eternal life is one, and it's the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. Well, Dr. Waters, I want to continue asking you uh, questions that derive out of your book, but uh, one thing you often hear people say, sometimes believer, uh, seems like it's more in the the non-believing realm, but death is simply a natural part of life. So therefore, I I don't fear death because it's it's just it's just part of living. Well, there there's a glimmer of truth to that, in that every one of us, unless Jesus comes back beforehand, is going to die. So there there is an inevitability to it, and no one gets out of here alive. That's that's clear from experience. But it's it's not true to say that death is natural as though it's just the ordinary part of experience, as though this is part of the plan or design of God uh, at our creation. Uh, death is an intruder. Uh, it is the penalty that God has brought for against sinners justly for sin. And I think people in quiet and honest moments facing death realize it to be a specter, to be something unwelcome, it's something that separates us. It separates ourselves. It separates us from our loved ones. It tears us from our, our dreams, our hopes, our possessions, uh, everything we, we hold dear. And so when we really examine death, we can't pronounce it to be something that's indifferent or good. Uh, I think that's where we appreciate the Scripture's honesty at that point. Well, the book is Facing the Last Enemy, Death and the Christian. My guest is uh, the author, Dr. Guy Prentice Waters, and he uh, is uh, the professor of New Testament at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Well, uh, how can we, knowing the inevitability, as you say, of our death, even Christians and non-believers, how can we prepare for our death? Well, I think the it's a obviously a big question, but to, to get into that, we, we remember that we are soul and body, and so we want to prepare accordingly. Uh, we want to pr prepare ourselves, and the most important thing to do is to, to ask, do, do I trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? Do I know through faith in him? that eternal life is mine, that death is defeated. And we want to come back to the teaching of Scripture, to the gospel, and to uh, in, be sure that, yes, um, what Christ has done is, in fact, mine. We want to be uh, preparing ourselves uh, in the body. Uh, we have um, our health to think about. We have our finances to think about. Uh, it's not unspiritual to be thinking about what do I do with my property and my accounts and investments. Uh, I should be thinking, uh, how do I dispose of those in a way that would glorify God? Um, we can't anticipate what 
our last months and days are going to look like, but we can make some uh, wise and informed decisions about how to prepare our friends and our loved ones. We can talk with uh, Christian pastors, with Christian physicians about the sort of questions we should be asking, the kinds of things we should be preparing for, uh, and recognize that this is something God will um, likely call me to walk through. So those are just a handful of ways that we can be even now preparing. The time to prepare is not in the moment, it's beforehand. And I think if, if we think about this, not morbidly, but if we start thinking about it and preparing ourselves now, we're best positioned uh, to walk that dark road when God calls us. What about, uh, that's from a certainly a very important perspective of our life here on earth. What about in terms of uh, spiritual preparation? I think as we uh, put our faith in Jesus Christ, we want to remember what death is. Uh, death is a defeated enemy. And so when death comes, uh, it is in God's providence the way that I will be brought from this life into the next. And the Apostle Paul, in faith, can say, to, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, and it is better to be with Christ than to be here in the body. So we want to be thinking about why that's the case. Well, we'll, we'll be free from a world of sin. We'll be free from the influences of sin and in ourselves, our thinking and our actions. Uh, we're going to be in the presence of uh, saints and angels, but particularly in the presence of our Savior himself. And, and that's a blessed thing. So when, when we think about death, we, we certainly want to be thinking about what we're leaving and how to prepare our, our friends and loved ones for that. But as Christians and in faith, we need to set our sights on what lies ahead of us and to know that what we're gaining uh, is far greater than anything we're losing. And you mentioned at the outset, uh, really, the origins of this book were from uh, your, through your relationship with your friend, the doctor in the uh, church that, that you're a part of, and helping him to prepare. He wanted that help. How can we help others prepare for their death? And I'm thinking believer, but what about non-believer as well? That may be maybe a friend, maybe a family member. They may have that terminal illness where there may be days or weeks to, to go. I think the most important thing we can do is to draw near to them. It, it's it's an uncomfortable thing to be with them, particularly in, in those moments. And everything in us may want to pull away, but let's find a way to draw near to them. And we shouldn't be shy about asking in inappropriate ways uh, spiritual questions, and they can be open-ended. Uh, what are you thinking about? Um, are you prepared for what's coming? And we can find ways for, for an unbeliever to introduce the gospel. And for a believer, we can find ways to remind them of the gospel. And I think to be with them, to pray with and for them, to read scripture, uh, it, we ought to be asking them, hey, are these things that, that I could do for you? Uh, they, they may be very small things, it would seem, but it's the small things that can have such a big influence in a person's life. What happens after 
after death for the believer, for the non-believer? The Bible tells us that the soul of every person goes before God and will give an account. Now, the soul of the believer uh, stands before Jesus Christ uh, as judge and savior. And so we don't fear that because we come through faith clothed in the righteousness of Christ that was counted to us, received through faith alone the moment we believed. And so we're looking forward to being in the presence of Christ, not because we lived a perfect life, but because we're clothed in his perfect merits. And, and that's what stirs us to do uh, good works in this life, to, sh to show our thankfulness by obedience to him. And we know that we will go into his presence. We will be with Christ. We are awaiting the resurrection of the body. Um, and at the last day when Christ returns, our bodies will be raised from the ground gloriously, Paul tells us, reunited with the soul, and they will be forever with him. Now, for an unbeliever, an unbeliever will appear before Christ and will be judged according to his or her life. And because uh, we're sinners by nature, and if we appear before Christ um, in ourselves as sinners without the covering of his grace, then the, that person can only expect condemnation and they will be sentenced to judgment, eternal judgment in hell, awaiting the resurrection of the body. Body and soul will be reunited and they will experience in eternity uh, the, the just suffering uh, that uh, will come upon their whole person for a life of sinning. So these are matters, obviously, of eternal consequence. There, there's no opportunity for mercy after death. God's sentence will be final. And so that impresses on us the urgency of the gospel in the here and now. Uh, but it also gives assurance to the believer that we can know for sure when we leave this life what lies before us. It's not left to guesswork. You, you so often hear uh, people make reference to th these kind of discussions about heaven and hell as, well, those are uh, sort of far-off uh, ideas. Um, what do they have to do with my life here and now? And, and the short answer is they, they have everything to do. Uh, Peter, for instance, in the last chapter of his last epistle, after he describes uh, the, the return of Christ in glory, says, so in light of that, what manner of life should we be living in holiness and righteousness as we prepare for that day? So the reality of heaven breaks into my life in the here and now, and that's a powerful motive to live a life pleasing to Christ, uh, because I, I want to start now living the kind of life that will be mine in full when Christ comes back. And the, the fact that heaven and hell are real and are final is, as I mentioned a moment ago, a powerful incentive to share the gospel with others, uh, with those who don't know Jesus Christ. They have an opportunity, as long as they draw breath, 
to come to faith in Christ, and Christ will not refuse them if they come. So that's our great opportunity to share the gospel with others. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Guy Waters, author of the book, Facing the Last Enemy, Death and the Christian. Dr. Waters teaches at Reformed Theological Seminary. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Ken Samples helping Christians think about artificial intelligence and its implications. And of course, there are challenges. I mean, even in the universities, teachers and professors have to think, how are we going to allow people to use GPT? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want people to go in there and you know turn in their paper where it's it's completely an artificial intelligence. We want to know that you're doing the thinking. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.